Hello, hello, and welcome to My Tennis Journey. I'm really excited for you to, to hear today's guest's story because it's just a brilliant journey, even though our guest today is still very young. Uh, Abby Breakwell. Abby uh, is from Long Eaton in Derbyshire, but as you'll hear, she's got a strong affinity with good reason to, to Nottingham as well. Um, but she's reached number three in the world rankings in girls wheelchair tennis and actually just gone up to number 66 in, in the adult rankings in wheelchair tennis. Uh, her story is an incredible one of destiny calling, of determination, of passion. Um, but also, I just loved uh, how much fun Abby's had and and how how the fun element of her personality just comes across so strongly. Um, I particularly love when she talks about uh, when she heard she was playing for Great Britain and she did a, a happy dance. Um, I say, yeah, I really hope you'll enjoy today's episode. Um, I, in talking of happy dances, if you'd be so kind as hit to subscribe or follow, promise I'll do a little happy dance uh, as it will help other people discover the podcast. Uh, but now over to Abby and, and I began by asking her how her wheelchair tennis journey began. My tennis journey first began where I, when I was a ball crew member at the Nottingham British Open. So every year the Nottingham British Open go into a school and they train all the year eights and nines up to become ball crew members who then will look after like the balls on court or they'll make sure the players have got drinks and towels or whatever they need and I trained of course I was year nine at the time when they picked Longeaton school and I got trained up and they then picked out the best ball crew out of everyone and I was originally said I was too clumsy because obviously with my disability at that point I was still able to walk and run and it, it, and I wore splints and, uh, to help support my legs. But because of that, I'm a bit like Clipper the Clown. My feet are massive, my splints are massive compared to my feet, so I just fall over all the time. So I originally didn't get onto the squad. However, it was a deal. You could have a week off school to do this ball crew, but you had to do the weekend. And a few people didn't like that, so they dropped out. And luckily, I was one of the replacements. I was one of the backups, and I got asked to then have a go. And it was just by sheer fluke that was someone dropped out and I went in their place. Abby, I love this story, but this was destiny calling in so many ways. I mean, firstly, how many schools are there in the Nottingham area that could have been selected? It happened to be yours. that They didn't select you. This is not right. Then somebody drops out. And then, well, we'll come on to the story. <laughs> yeah, well, after that, um, I went to the British Open and I'd never really been brought up in the disability world. I'd always been brought up and my parents had always supported me no matter what I do. However, even though I had splints, I was able to walk. My parents always brought me up saying that you can do anything. You can you can go do races, you can play hockey, you can play football, you can do whatever you want. There's nothing going to stop you, even if you have a disability. And I'd ne never played or seen a disability sport before. So I obviously went to then the Nottingham Open and it was the first time ever I felt like I was at home. I walk a little bit funny because of my splints and my disability and no one stared at me because I look different. Well, anyway, later on, <laughs> I started ball crewing and the national scout uh, scouting manager 
who looked out for potential future Olympians saw me and went, oh my gosh, that girl's got splints. Quick, go see if she wants to have a go at wheelchair tennis. So purely by fluke, I was on Louise Hunt's match, one of my first ones, and I came off my break and you went, I think you'd be very good at wheelchair tennis. Would you like to have a go? So I gave my mum the phone number. She rang up and I went and had a go. And I absolutely loved it. And I've never looked back since. The, the, the thing I think is what, what an amazing journey. Just that very first chapter. It's like, it's like the start to some sort of Hollywood movie. The, the way that things came together on it, isn't it? And, and thank goodness it did. And, you know, and, and I guess from what you were saying, it, it, it's love at first sight with wheelchair tennis. Yeah. I just, I've just loved it ever since. I mean, the first training session, it was only meant to be an hour, but I loved it so much. I ended up doing three hours in the wheelchair and I came back with absolute massive blisters on my thumbs and I struggled to pick up the balls up the next day on the ball crew. I've got massive blisters over my hands. But I love that because the passion was there, but from the start, the thing that no doubt has served you well, the hard work ethic was there because you didn't just want to do the hour. You know, you wanted to do do three hours. You wanted to stay there to the point where your hands are hurting, you know. And I'm, I'm yeah. guessing that's been a factor ever since. Uh, it, it's hard work. Yeah, I mean, I play no matter what. I've done it before, two days before the National School Games, where it's the final, it's like the best of the best of juniors in the country all come together. And I ran over my own finger, over my wheelchair, and I really damaged it. And it was just after before, so it was a national camp. It was a camp before we go to train and everything. And my coach said, right, nobody's going to get injured. It's two days before, you're going to be fine. And I ran it over and I I broke it in one place, fractured it. I took the end of my skin off and I went down to the bone. A&E said, "Um, we're not sure what we can do. And I went, look, you just need to get me on the tennis court for two days. So we bandaged it up. It was like, you know, the old plastic things that you have when you're a kid to put over your thumb to say, oh, I've got a poorly. My finger literally looked like that. Luckily, it wasn't my playing hand. Luckily. So we had a, um, on the side of your wheel, you can have like a cover over your spoke so your fingers don't get stuck. Because at that point, I couldn't bend my finger because the whole bandage was over the whole finger. So, so I couldn't get my finger damaged any further. We did that and I managed to get silver. And I think it was gold or bronze I can't remember it was a great experience but I never give up no matter what even if I'm injured I'm still going (laughs) I think that's just an amazing example and what did your mum and dad say when they had to take you to A&E and they're like Abby what have you done I think they were more the surprised at the fact that we had a three-hour training session I did this within the first 15 minutes and I said no no it's fine just cover it up I'll carry on with the training session I think that was more of a surprise to them than actually having to go to A&E. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Now, Abby, I've seen you play, you know, just on videos. I can't wait to see you play live, but I've seen you play on videos. Tennis is a technical sport. It's a hard sport. Yet, when I, when I see the wheelchair tennis that you're playing, it's even more complicated because you've got to manoeuvre that chair into the right position before executing a shot. I mean, how difficult was it when you first went on that taster session? It was so difficult. I mean, like I said before, I played, first of all, it was only meant to be an hour. I ended up playing three hours. However, the first half an hour, 40 minutes, 
was purely on the fact of learning how to move the wheelchair. At that point, I was 13 years old. I had never been in a wheelchair before in my entire life. I'd seen wheelchairs, but I'd never actually sat in one or had a go, not even in like a normal day chair or anything, let alone a sports chair. So it was purely learning how to move forward, how to move backwards, how to go left and right, and basically not to steer into the fence at the side, just just stay in the court. So you've learned how to do to, to manoeuvre the wheelchair. You then is you know had you played tennis before, or, or were the the swing paths that you needed to make those forehands, make those backhands, make those volleys, make that? So was that all new as well? Yeah, it was all new. The only time I'd ever played tennis was at school, like in joint PE lessons. But I'd never actually really played tennis. And to be honest, my hand-eye coordination was so rubbish, I can't, I couldn't catch a ball, to be honest. I can catch a ball now, but throwing's still not my best. Mm. <laughs> it's not my best skill. But yeah, I'd never played tennis, never been in a wheelchair, really. In fact, Tony Nappett spent the majority of the lesson feeding balls to my racket because the swing path wasn't there. And trying to get me to catch the ball, it just went too fast. And actually, when we first started to play, we started playing with balloons because the tennis ball was too fast. So just to give us that time to learn the movement around to get to the right position and to be able to get the um, the ball, the uh, balloon at the right position and the right swing path. It took about three months with balloons before we could actually hit any tennis balls. But yeah, Tony Nappett was the one who first got me into wheelchair tennis. And I will so, be so grateful for him from the rest of my life because he was the one who changed my life. And it was because he spotted you as a ball crew and just happened to get in touch with, you know, and and, and got, got your mum to give him a call. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And and by the way, balloon tennis, if anyone is listening with a toddler, with anyone who hasn't played sport before of any age and they want to try tennis, give balloon tennis a go first because it gets you ready to play our sport, doesn't it? Yeah. It was quite amusing. Um, one of the coaches that we had at the time didn't like the sound of the pop of the balloons. And every time it popped it, she jumped really loudly. But of course, with the wheelchairs, an accidental habit. It's an occupational hazard running over the balloons and popping them. <laughs> I love that. So you had coaches jumping out of the skin. Yeah. <laughs> in the end, they had to put a cover over the balloon to stop it popping as much. Love so it. It, it made it a bit heavier. So once we got a bit better at it, they put uh, covers over the balloons to make it a bit heavier so it was a bit faster. But it also stopped them popping as easily. It's, but we um, still gave it a good go. It's outstanding balloon tennis etiquette. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of the best. It is one of the best things I've ever loved. And in fact, when I do coaching myself, I love doing that with the younger ones. And especially if we've got little ones coming in to do wheelchair tennis. I love playing with the balloons with them because it takes me back when I was a kid and to the point where I absolutely loved it and where I started. Brilliant. But I know that you, you know, you made really rapid progress. How, how long after starting was your first competition uh, and what was that first competition like? Can you remember? Yeah. So I started in 2015 and then later on the next year in 2016, I played the first competition which I believe was the National School Games, which is where I played for England. And that was my first ever competition. Hang on. Hang on a minute, Abby. So, you know, I had a look the other day at some of how many matches some some junior players have played um, by the age of 10. It's hundreds of matches. 
in all sorts of tournaments. Yet you made your debut for England. <laughs> yeah, it was an amazing opportunity, to be honest. I've done really great. Martin Way and Dawn Upton, who I was coaching with at the time, they gave me um, absolutely amazing coaching. And it was actually the first time ever that they had had girls in the wheelchair tennis section. And it was a massive thing. No, it's never been done before. It's okay that we're not quite ready to go on to yellow ball, but we'll do a tournament with orange ball. So it gives you a chance to be able to compete. And we played and I managed to get uh, two golds in both singles and doubles, which was amazing for me. And it was my home place as I trained at Loughborough. So for me, it's at home and I managed to win two golds on my first ever competition. It was, to be honest, it's a lot like the Olympics. It's like a mini Olympics. So we have a full open ceremony with a um, with a whole concert and everything with a massive stadium and all the players come around. And you stay in student halls without your parents, so a coach is in charge. But I absolutely loved it. It's amazing. And, you know, if it was me and I'd won two golds on my debut for England, there's part of me which would be tempted to retire, go out at the top after one tournament. But if you if you look at the progress you made to sort of fast forward a little bit, and, you know, by 2018, you know, you, you won five junior national titles, you won the British Open Wheelchair Girls Championship. You know, having started out long eaten in Derbyshire, to go to these kind of achievements so quickly. Um, I mean, by this point, you must have been taking your, your wheelchair tennis pretty seriously with a pretty serious training schedule in place. Yeah, by 2018, I was training five times a week like an hour or two a day and also at that time we just got onto what was known at the time the JFP or the Juniors Futures Programme which is now flipped into the National Age Group Programme so it has changed names over the years and it was the first time it'd ever been run and the first time they've ever really done a proper junior programme and they had actually just started teaching us about nutrition, strength and conditioning, psychology of the whole sport so at the same time as also doing five hours of tennis, we were just starting to learn the strength and conditioning side of it about shoulder health and how to help us to play tennis for longer. So we just started doing small gym sessions at home with a bit of equipment. So actually we managed to gain a lot of knowledge through that and the LTA have been really supportive with that. What, a, what I mean, it, it, we know that, the, that playing the game is only part of it, isn't it? What you do off the court in terms of your preparation, be it your nutrition, be it your, your strength and conditioning, the psychology side of things, which is massive. I mean, just just uh, amazing. And and I mean, at, at this time, did you, it, was it, was it, I mean, you're doing so much tennis at this point, but you still, did you have time for your, your schoolwork, for your, for your other, other sporting endeavours as well? Yeah, I actually, uh, I had a lot of time. So as well as wheelchair tennis, I also did wheelchair basketball, wheelchair racing, karate, and I did scouts as well at that point as well. And on top of that, of course, I had homework and everything. I've always loved sports and I've, my coach has always it, um, promoted doing other sports as it helps with tennis. So like basketball, for example, it helps you with the short little movements that you need to get around the ball. And then wheelchair racing actually helps a lot with the cardio and the fitness, which allows us to play for longer. 
So yeah, plus then on top having all those sessions with like psychologists. In fact, my psychologist is Julie Blackwood, who I believe you already had on the show. It was very busy, but we always made time. Amazing. I I um I love chatting with Julie. I learned a lot chatting with Julie. I I, I was at the um, county closed earlier in the week, and a parent was asking me about something or other and I was quoting Julie which is something I do on a regular basis now I feel like even in that chat I, I you know I learned so much in an hour and if anyone's listening and interested in looking back at uh, Julie Blackwood on sports psychology just brilliant um I, I, but do you have the ability to like pause time then how do you manage to do all these things Abby like you can you know how do you fit that in Mum and dad are amazing taxis that can get me wherever I need to be and they're also very good at timekeeping and making sure I can get to where I need to. So um, as I grew older, um, I stopped karate as competitions became more and more and tra- became more and more imp- impressive and you had to do more and more. And obviously the training became more expensive. So obviously some things had to drop off. And um, my scouting as well, I did scouting as a scout and then I became a leader for two years. And I was looking after the younger ones and I'm still in contact with all of them. And I still go out and help out when I can. And I really enjoy it. But those, as my tennis became more important in my life and became more professional, I something struck off. However, things like the wheelchair racing and the wheelchair basketball are carried on with and just making sure that I can do everything I can to be the best at tennis. But also learning about like different sports so even though I'd only ever played wheelchair tennis as a disability sport going into those other disability sports allowed me to make a lot more friends and also helped me as a person so the age of 13 where I just started playing tennis I was diagnosed with a spinal strength and at that time it was a new condition for me I'd never ever known anything about it and actually some people at basketball and racing had already got the, this condition so they were able to explain to me okay this is what happens this is the sort of treatment you can get and it actually really helped me come to terms with okay I have this condition but I've got a lot of support around me from different locations. The support networks you get from the different sports um, is, is fantastic isn't it and, 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 and I think that it's, it's one of the things, the sociability side of things, the friends that you make, they're there for life, aren't they? That's one of the most amazing things. I mean, it, it, now, I mean, are you full-time with your tennis now? Is that...? Uh, majority, mostly. Um, at the moment, I'm full-time, because obviously it's in between that phase between college and university. So I've got no educational stuff at the moment to do, because of course it's the six weeks and everything. So I'm able to go full-time. Um, we do, I do about 25 hours a week on court and three hours off court with gym sessions. And of course, on top psychology and doing nutritional meetings and everything like that. So actually, even though I'm not full time, I'm still doing a lot of tennis and things on and off court. Mm. And I mean, I was looking through your schedule for, for 2021. You've been to Turkey, to Croatia, to Romania. I mean, how do you find that the traveling to tournaments is that is that something you enjoy no I didn't used to I felt really sorry for the guy sitting next to me on the plane because I was that person that grabbed hold of the seat and would not let go until we're in the air because I was terrible at flying I've 
I never used to be good at flying and I'd just be sitting there like holding the seat so tight can't move don't move it's fine but then um I've got better as I've got older I have I've learned to relax a lot more and the more flights I've been on throughout the years the better it's got and the more relaxed I've got and now it's sort of you've got to this stage now I've done so many flights I can practically do the safety briefing with the rest of the cabin crew you can mouth most of the words to it I mean I'm not perfect at it but I'm sure I'll get a chance to get better well a a a a benefit of traveling of your tennis that you didn't see coming when it comes to safety briefings give Abby a shout I'm there if you ever need help I'm there I know exactly what to do in these emergencies Oh, man. Hey, a random one for you. I was looking at the Romania and, I mean, you won the, the Bucharest Open women's doubles title. You know, congratulations with that because that was a senior tour, tournament, wasn't it? And that was with a German player, Britta Wend. You know, was how did you end up playing with Britta? Was she already a, a friend from, from the tour or...? I actually met her in Croatia, the tournament beforehand. And we started chatting and we decided actually we got along really well. And we thought, actually, I messaged her a, a couple of weeks, a few weeks beforehand. And I went, hi, do you want to partner up? And, I, and we were like, yeah, sure, let's go for it. Let's just see what happens. We've never played with each other before. You never, We've never been doubles partners, but we both get along with each other. So let's just have a go. And it actually worked really well. In Romania, I played two tournaments and we were doubles partners for both. In the first tournament we came, we went out in the semi-finals against the first seed. And then in the second tournament, we managed to win against both the first and second seed to win, which was a bit tough as you went against the 18th in the world against one of the players. But it was an amazing experience. I really loved it. And I really enjoyed playing with Britta and she was she was so supportive. And it was really nice as well as there was quite a few, quite a lot of German guys there. So there was a group of British and the German guys and her coach, and they all sat there behind us cheering for us. We got a little, we got our own little crowd that we travelled with us. I love that. And that, I mean, there can't be that many sporting events where you've got England and Germany coming together to to be as one and support each other, you know. And no, and I guess you know, growing up at, in Long Eaton, where you've got Derbyshire, Nottinghamshire, you know, bringing people together. This is something you've done before. You'll do again, no doubt. Yeah. Cool, man. And then, I mean, it must have given you tremendous belief that doing so well in such a high-level tournament and beating some of the world's best, incredible. And I think singles-wise, am I right in saying you're up to number three in the world in the, the junior singles ranking? I mean, that just make, must make you smile when you look at it and think, wow, number three in the world. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, for me, it shows that all the hard work that I've done is paying off. And it's shown that I am heading the way I want to head. You know, looking back at, at your junior career, is is there a moment that that stands out as your happiest moment? I think, to be honest, that's a really hard one because there are so many good memories, and there there's so many. I'll give you a few examples then. Yeah. Um, one of the first ones is the first time I ever played for Great Britain and, and I was a junior in 2018, I think it was. And I sat there, we'd just finished uh, my 
meeting with the head of who's the head of the program so my boss and he said I got to sit there very politely be very good sit there just smile so Abby um we've decided that we would like you to play for Great Britain the juniors and of course you have to be really really professional and you have to sit there going okay thank you thank you Emily saying that I'm gonna go for the toilet didn't need the toilet just needed to go around the corner to do a happy dance because I can't do that in front of him because you've got to be really professional I was just sitting there doing happy dance breathe don't out <laughs> and to be able to then put the kit on the kit came and it was suddenly a realization of oh my gosh this is actually happening so we put the kit on and the amount of kit we got given was absolutely phenomenal and to be able to do you know what one of the hardest things was packing in the suitcase trying to fit it all in it was like one of those people trying to start the suitcase to shut it but yeah that was one of my biggest memories as a junior that and the national school games obviously being one of my first tournaments and the British Open of course it's my hometown it's where I come from it's where I first started that GB one is definitely one I will never forget and isn't that I love I love the idea of the happy dance. It's like, you know, when you feel so happy that you're just going to have a little dance. I think everybody needs to do more happy dances. More happiness, more happy dances. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, how else can we show that we're so excited? Too right, too right. I think next time you just got to do it in front of the guy, you know, because maybe, maybe the guy's nervous telling you and stuff. I don't know, maybe they'd do a happy dance. Maybe every... <laughs> I think... In fact, I think basically everybody needs to do more happy dances. <laughs> to be honest, I think my mum was doing more of a happy dance because it was a couple, I think it was either, I, actually it was my mum's birthday that day. So her, my, her daughter just got onto the GB squad. But then of course, because it's all hush hush and you're not allowed to say anything because they've got to officially announce it and you've got to officially say everything. I wasn't allowed to say anything to anybody. The only people that were allowed to know were me, my family, and the coaches that were sitting there. So when you're sitting there and they're like, oh, I wonder who's going to go to World Team Cup and play for Great Britain. You sit there and go, me, 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 but you can't say anything. And it's it's so difficult sometimes just to not say anything because you, you, you want to tell everyone, but you can't. It's another good reason for doing the happy dance because you can just do the dance. And if anyone says, why are you dancing? I'm just happy. I'm just doing happy dance. It's like, <laughs> it's like, it's like taking the right to silence in a very, very happy way. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Now, I mean, adult perspective, congratulations. You've got a new career high. You're up to number 66 in the world. Just amazing. What are your hopes and dreams moving forward, Abby? Hopes and dreams moving forward. So... Obviously, during lockdown and everything, we've had to focus on other things like the gym because we've not been able to go on court. And something that I realised during that time is, like, the big goals, like going to Wimbledon, the Olympics, which is always going to be my big goals, and Paralympics and going to the Olymp Wimbledon, that is always going to be a massive big goal for me. But you've also got to remember the small goals that you set yourself to go throughout. So, for example, when I played against Jordan Wiley at the Birmingham Viking Cup, I think it's called, um, I knew that I was not going to win that match. <laughs> There's, It was my dream to play against her, but I wasn't going to win it. So I set myself goals. So I was going to try and get either one or two points every game, and I was going to try and push the games as far as I could. And I managed to get two games off her. So for me, making sure those goals are reached first, and those little goals are then going to be, become the big goal altogether. So like I've heard someone say before, 
in order to get across the river and to see the beautiful landscape, you have to go across the little stepping stones. So in order to do the little goals, to reach the big goal, you can't just go walking through water if you want to get there being dry. You've got to go through the stepping stones. And that is what I've got to aim for, is the little stepping stones first. I love that. What a lovely way of putting it. And, and what I've, just a, such a, a great approach. Um, come on, here's to the stepping stones. Um, I mean, you, you mentioned Jordan. Are the, the GB wheelchair tennis community, is it a close bunch of people? Is there anyone you'd call out as having been particularly supportive on your journey thus far? All of them. Everyone has been so supportive and so helpful. I mean, like I said, with the Birmingham, I was the only one there. You'd got people who were the third, uh, you'd got second, third, fourth, fifth in the world. And then you got me down there who's 66. So you've got this massive difference and they were so helpful. They made sure I was warmed up at the competition. I made, they made sure I was okay. They sat and chatted with me and they ate with me and it was just so lovely. I mean, everyone's been so helpful, not just the British guys either. It's mm-hmm. those who are from abroad. So like, um, for example, Stefan Hude, I call him my Harry Bow buddy. So when I first ever started playing tennis, he sat there eating Harry Bows. And halfway through his match, I'm there ball crooning in the middle of the court. And he's like, do you want a Harry bow? And I'm like, I have to stand here really professionally with my arms behind my back going, no, I'm okay, thank you. I'm okay. And he's like, seriously, just take a Harry bow. And I'm sitting there going, I've got to be really professional. Okay, I'll take one Harry bow, stand back up. <laughs> but yeah, it was um, it great. And also, um, people from Great Britain have really helped me. So Louise Hunt has been absolutely amazing. So she's been my mentor ever since I was younger. And she um, actually, I won my first ever ITF tournament title with her as my doubles partner. And in fact, she was the first person I ever ball crewed for. So she was the first match I ball crewed for. And then I suddenly was sat, sitting next to her on court, picking up a trophy with her and for doubles. So for me, that was a really special moment to see actually how far I've come. But yeah, they've all been really supportive and amazing. It's just an amazing story, isn't it? Of how having gone from ball crew into playing with to winning with. And and it's just lovely to hear. Just brilliant. Just fantastic. Now, am, am I right in thinking you're, you're an ambassador for the Dan Maskell Tennis Trust? What what does that role involve, Abby? And, and how have the trust helped you? So Dan Maskell Tennis Trust helped people from grassroots levels so people who are just coming into sport with funding towards coaching sessions or helping to fund a sports wheelchair so a sports wheel tennis wheelchair can cost around about seven thousand pounds and can be very expensive for especially for people who are just playing on the weekend and it's a lot of money so Dan Mask will allow people who are just coming into the sport who are grassroots level to be able to play with a chair and it helps fund that um, they've helped me a lot in the past with helping when I very first started giving me individual coaching and they helped give me funding towards that which actually has helped my development massively to be able to get where I am so group sessions are very good however sometimes you have to have individual sessions to nitpick at the things that you're not as good at and I, I'm not sure you've probably known that a lot of kids need that balance between um, group sessions and individuals and Dan Maskell managed to help me get that balance and 
it's me being ambassador is me giving back what they gave to me that opportunity and for me I'm I'm a massive person for nothing should stand in anyone's way go and do what you want to do and if that's tennis and if you can't do it standing up or if you need hearing aids or if you need a ball with a bell in or whatever it is then if you need that support then they can help you with that and for me I I love that grassroots so I'm a coach myself I love working with people the youngsters who are just getting into it or the beginners and helping doing that and Dan Maskell's also helped me so I go into schools so I teach wheelchair tennis in schools sometimes as well just so also a lot of the time there's always one kid at the whole year group who's got a disability and it can make them feel very lonely and unincluded and sometimes it can make them feel like they don't want to wear the supports that they need as they do feel isolated because they are different to everyone else. I was a bit like that. I was the only one who wore stunts. So what I did, what we do is going into schools by doing that wheelchair tennis, it allows them to see actually there are other people out there like me. Even though I may not see them in the classroom every day, there are people there like me. And Dan Maskell help a lot with that massively, just helping people getting into the sport and to feel at home like I did. The first time is when I was playing wheelchair tennis and to make you feel like you're not alone anymore. I mean, Dan Maskell Tennis Trust do a fantastic job and you're doing a fantastic job for them with the, all the different things you've just listed, Abby. I'll, I'll make sure I'll put a link to the, the Tennis Trust on the uh, on the podcast. Um, no doubt, you, you I know how mega, mega busy you are. Um, training tournaments, all the other sports, all the other things that are going on in your life. But what are you, what are your passions away from the sporting court? I do a lot. Um, so like before I've said that I do coaching. So off court when I'm not training, I do help out with the coaching as much as I can. So I do learning disability. I've helped out with blind. And also um, I also I'm a massive fan. I love sewing. So patchwork cushions, dresses, skirts trousers the lot I'm there I love doing it but yeah it's um that and painting I'm I, I love arts and crafts for me me I, I'm just there ever since I was younger I've been like oh let's get some paper and draw let's do this let's do that with it and it's sort of my chill time so especially during lockdown I uh I'm a very big family person so I rang up my cousins who are very young and I said, right, what do you want making? I'm bored. What do you want me to make? So she was like, oh, I'd like a, uh, I'd like a princess bag. It took me ages, but I managed to find a pattern print with a uh, princesses on and cut out the faces, put them in like a patchwork for them. And uh, I made, one of them said, oh, I'd like a toy whale. So I made a toy whale. And one of them said, oh, I'd like an L-shaped cushion because her name begins with L. So I made an um, elk-shaped cushion for them. And for me, that was my chill time. And I've done paintings and different bits, especially during lockdown. So for me, that is my chill time. I love that. And I think um, we saw with Tom Daly, didn't we? You know, yeah. when he was knitting during the Olympics. It's, it's something that I guess you lose yourself in. You lose yourself in the process of doing it. So you, your thoughts are not on other things. You're just yeah. relaxing through it. Yeah, well, I put my music on with my sewing. Um, when, so the sewing machine makes a bit of a thud noise on the desk. So every time it goes out, it's thud, 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 thud. So when mum's sitting downstairs, upstairs, she's like, well, she's sewing again. But the thing is, though, that can go on for hours. Because I don't realise the time, because the time goes so quickly. So mum's like, Abby, have you finished sewing yet? <laughs> Not yet. Okay, keep thudding. It'll keep thudding, it's fine. 
But uh, my grandma got me into it, actually. She does a lot of sewing and a lot of knitting, actually. I used to do knitting when I was a kid. I remember bits of it now. But my knitting was more of that random person that's got holes in it. So <laughs> you've got a jumper and you've got this massive hole in the middle where you put your whole hand through. And I'm sitting there going, I'm great at knitting. Because, of course, I'm only three or four. I'm ter- well, not three or four, sorry. It was uh, later on. I'm say about eight. But, yeah. I was like, it's great. And then realising, looking back now, how terrible I was at it. <laughs> but yeah, I still go around to my grandma's. She teaches me how to make, in fact, during, um, when we were, lockdown was just easy, we were allowed to go see family. She was teaching me how to make trousers and that, because I'd never made trousers before. So she was the one teaching me how to make trousers. So that's sort of our thing that we do together. What a lovely, lovely thing to do, Abby. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. I love that story. Now, I know um, you've got a very strong affinity with, with Nottinghamshire. I know that Long Eaton's just Derbyshire, so you're right on that border. And, and I do a lot of work with the Derbyshire juniors, but I know we've got listeners in, in Nottingham too. Um, if we wanted to come and watch you, you know, play in a tournament and organise a trip for our juniors to come and watch you play, what would your recommendation be? The best tournament to go to to watch any tennis at all or watch me or anyone is the British Open because at the beginning of the week it's just the pro athletes so you've got the top 10 in the world all coming into play because it's the super series but also alongside the super series you have the futures level which is a couple of layers down where you've got the people who are just coming through um, into the adult area and they'll be soon going up into the super series bit and then you also have the juniors that run alongside of it so you don't just get to see the adults playing the pros, you get to see all the different levels. And you can see, actually, if you want to join in wheelchair tennis, there is a come and try it day there. So you can actually have a go at wheelchair tennis and they'll direct you into the right place of where is your closest club to play wheelchair tennis. But also it allows you to see where your journey can begin and where, you're, where you could be at the top. And it allows you to see that whole range of different places, but also it allows you to see the range of different disabilities so that for those who don't know a lot about wheelchair tennis there are two categories within wheelchair tennis there is the open division and the quad division um the open division are for people who have disabilities from their leg with their legs or their lower limbs and those who are in the quad division have problems who have not fully functioning arms or they have an arm missing and as well as a problem with their legs and their core so some people in the quad division, for example, have a strap around their stomach to keep them sitting up straight. Or David Wagner, for example, takes his hand to the racket to stop him dropping it. So you get a full range of people who've got limbs missing to those who are fully paralysed, those who can walk a little bit with cerebral palsy. And you get a massive variety. So actually, you don't just see one type of disability. Come on, and just like you brought the... Um the English and the German fans together in your doubles tournament in Romania because of the Nottingham connections and the Derbyshire connections you're not going to see too many sporting events where the Nottinghamshire and Derbyshire come together but Abby when it's next the British Open we are going to get the people of Nottingham and Derbyshire together to support you and uh, is it is it the same time every year this tournament? Uh, yeah it was around about July every year Obviously, with because of COVID and everything, it has been pushed back a few a few times. But actually, normally every single year, it's around about July time. Um, if you come towards the end of the week, you see those who are in the final and you get to see the younger ones. And then also, the, obviously, the come and try it days. So 
come along have a go in fact they've got a new initiative program going on at the moment around the country if you look into it there's come and try it days all around the country wales england scotland have a look on the dates on the lta website where you can go and have a go at wheelchair tennis and they can direct you into the right spot and also the right program as then also looking for people who could be future paralympians brilliant we'll get a link to that as well abby now it's been so lovely chatting um Loved it. And a question we ask everybody to finish. If you could go for a drink with anybody, live or dead, who would it be and why? Um, I think for me, this one's quite a personal one, as I'd like to go and see my grandma, Nana, as she, I was only four years old when she died. And ever since, even when I was four years old, I I still wore splints and she always like, she always said that you, you be you, don't let anyone stand in your way, you do what you want to do. And I guess for me, I'd love to, I've always seen her through kids' eyes and I'd love to meet her as an adult and to catch up and hear stories probably about my mum. She's been a bit naughty as she was growing up (laughs) and uh, little stories, but also to show her that I've done something that can make her proud. So I think for me, that would be a massive thing is to see my grandma. Isn't it lovely that you remember that from your granny, that that's, that's what the advice that she gave you. And I'm sure if she was uh, looking down, she would be uh, not just proud. She'd be doing a happy dance at just (laughs) how well you are doing, Abby. I feel, I feel absolutely sure. And it's just such an incredible story you've already had. You know, and the journey from that Long Eaton school being selected. Thank goodness that Long Eaton school was selected. Thank goodness that somebody, you know, couldn't make that weekend. I hope they had a nice weekend wherever they were. But the journey that began as a result and can't wait to keep following your journey, Abby, as it it continues. But just amazing work thus far. And yeah, all the very best for the the journey of the chapters. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, school, like you were saying, is just a massive important part. But I'd also like to say just thank you to Miss Turner and Miss Bird, who are the ones who helped me get into the ball crew, as they were the ones originally saying, yeah, Abby, go go, go do the training. It's OK, you can do it. And they were the ones who were really supportive and helped to adapt a lot of the lessons to allow me to be included and have always supported me. Even now, I'm still in contact with both of them and they're still very supportive and help out where they can. Isn't it amazing that the difference that, that teachers can make to lives? And that's the example, isn't it? Miss Turner and Miss Bird started you on a journey, an, an exciting journey that's got so many chapters to come. So, yeah, a great way for us to end our chat today. We salute you, Miss Turner. We salute you, Miss Bird. And Abby, thank you so much for your time. Thank you.